Something dawned on me this week, and that is that uh, because Easter's a bit later this year, I'd thought I'd escaped the Royal Easter Show for the year. Uh, but then my children started what is their sort of form of Chinese water torture earlier this week, which is this constant drip of, can we go to the Royal Easter Show? No. Can we go to the Royal Easter Show? No. Can we go to the Royal Easter Show? No. Can we maybe just go to the Royal Easter Show? No. And it just goes on and on and on. But the thing is, the memory of last time is still strong enough for me to resist. <laughs> I sort of think of the Royal Easter Show as a little bit like KFC. You know, with KFC, you know how you have it? And you say, why did I do that? It's disgusting. And you, and it, but then, about six months later, you walk past and the smell comes in. Yeah, that smells quite nice. And it's been long enough for you to forget. And so then you try it again and you go, why did I do that? Well, it's the same with the Royal Easter Show, except for me, it's about a 40-year gap, I think it'll need to be. Uh, firstly, it costs a packet. I don't know, who's, been, who's going to the Royal Easter Show this year? You know, who loves it and who's going to go? There you go, a few people. But it costs a bomb when you're taking three kids with you. And then they get in and then they say, we want show bags as well. My sort of rule is if something costs as much as the Royal Easter Show costs, then everything should be free inside. That's the way I look at it. Then you get in, you've got to pay for everything else. And for a little while there, my kids were convinced that the Birdie Beetle bag was actually the best one because it's $2. That's why I was convincing them of it. Now they've worked it out that cost equals better bag and they want the ones that are $30 and all that sort of thing. And then there's the rides. My kids love the idea of the rides and I hate the idea of the rides, but I still have to go on them with them. So last time, I mean, I didn't enjoy the rides when I was the target audience, when I was a teenager. So why would I enjoy them now? But anyway, I went on the pirate ship with Sam and Eloise last time. But when I'd last gone on the pirate ship, it just went like this, you know, back and forth, then got up high and that sort of thing. Now it goes sideways and on angles and all sorts of things. I was sick for three days afterwards. <laughs> so I got off the ride and Victoria said, are you okay? Do I need to take you to the hospital? I said, give me a Coke. Just give me a Coke. I settled. <laughs> And for three days, I wasn't myself. You can ask Victoria about it later. And that was just the one in the kiddies' ride section. That was the funny thing. It wasn't even the real one. And I think what I hate most about the Easter show is the crowds. That's what I hate, especially as a parent. Uh, because when the kids were younger, you spend the whole time you are there in fear that you're going to lose them. Uh, because just crowds everywhere, and they just see exciting things. Dagwood dogs over there, Sam's off, you know, there you go. And, oh, look, there's the show bags, and they're away, and you can't keep an eye on them. And before you know it, they're gone, and it is every parent's worst fear. Uh, I remember as a child, I wasn't here in Sydney, I was in Brisbane at the, what's called the Echo, which is the equivalent in Brisbane. I remember getting lost there. I was just in the crowd, and I thought my dad was with me, and then after a few minutes I turn around, and then he's not there. But the thing is, it's not actually that bad for the child, because if I remember rightly, I was given an ice cream by the nice lady at the information stand sort of centre. But for my parents, you know, your heart skips a beat. You, you, you're sort of, what, what am I going to do? Where is he? What, what's happened? And so forth. And then when you find them, the relief is amazing. It's amazing when you watch. Just watch if you go to the Easter show. Often the relief is expressed in anger by the parents. What were you doing? Why did you, whatever, you know, and so forth. But it's all because of the love for the child. The relief when you find them is amazing. And I think that's one of the reasons that this story that Jesus has told, if you take out your, what is, what's the colour? The buff, the well-worked out. Emma's my favourite Bible reader, by the way. Uh, the well-worked out uh, outline there. I think that's one of the reasons this story is so famous. 
Because what it does is it resonates with people because we can all empathise with it. We can all sort of understand it. We've all been a child who was lost or a parent who, who feels, like, what if I've lost my child? Uh, and so that's one of the reasons I think it's such a famous story. We often call it the parable of the prodigal son. That's what we often call it. Parable just means a story with a meaning. That's all it is. Uh, we call it the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. But I think that name can be a little bit misleading for us because I don't think it's mainly about the lost son. Uh, the main thing I think Jesus wants us to see in this, this story is the father's reaction when the son comes back. That's what he wants us to focus on. Uh, so hopefully you'll see that as we look at it together. So come along with me for the ride and we'll have a look. Now, as uh, Emma read out for us before, she read the first two verses from Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. And that was just to give it a bit of a context of why Jesus was telling this story. Uh, you see, Jesus told this story because some people had got upset with him. A lot of people don't realize this, but Jesus spent a lot of his time upsetting people. That's what he did. Uh, people sort of think gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He was just nice and everyone liked him. That wasn't the case at all. Uh, no, Jesus upset people and especially... He upset people because he didn't hang around with the respectable religious type people. That was the issue here. Uh, he upset them because they sort of thought, well, hang on, if, if you're from God, like you claim, then you should hang out with the religious people. You should hang out with the righteous people like us. But no, Jesus hang around with what the Bible calls the tax collectors and the sinners, uh, the people who were the lowlifes, the people other people thought should be avoided, the people respectable people didn't want to be seen with. But they were the people who flocked to Jesus. And they were the people who Jesus welcomed. He didn't turn them away. It says he ate with them, he talked with them, he spent time with them. And the religious people hated him for it. The religious people said, you know, if you're really from God, you should be avoiding people like that and hanging out with people like us the righteous people, the religious ones. But what Jesus often did was instead of answering questions like that, instead of just sort of giving them a, a straight answer, if you like, he told stories to them or parables. And this is one of the stories he told. So look with me from uh, verse 11 there on your outline. It said, Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. You have to understand the culture that Jesus was talking to here. That was a very offensive thing for a son to say to his father. It would be an offensive thing for a son to say to his father today, but even more so back then. A son's duty was to work with his father until his father died, and then, only then, would he take over the estate. Uh, and in this case, because he's the younger son, what would have happened is the older son would have got two-thirds of the estate, and he would have got one-third of the estate. It's never fair for the younger son. You can tell which one I am. Uh, but he's sort of really saying here, I'm not waiting. I want it now. Uh, and it's like he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead. I just want your money. I don't want anything to do with you. I just want your money. That's all I want. And even though it must have hurt him terribly, the father gives his permission. He would have had to have sold up a third of his property and then given the proceeds to his son. But that's what he did. He divides his estate and gives the younger son what he wants. And for a time, the son thinks this freedom is wonderful. 
He thinks it's great. Look with me there at verse 13. He says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and travelled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. I think Jesus puts the little details in on purpose, especially the bit about the fact that he goes to a distant country. Because when your father can see you, you don't want to get up to all this sort of no good. But there's sort of that sense to which if I go away, if I leave my father behind where he can't see me, I can, I can do whatever I want. I can squander all this money on, on gambling and drinking and prostitutes, which is what he says later in the story. By travelling to a distant country, he was free to do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, however he wanted. And that's what he did. But you see, freedom is funny like that. It's great to be free when you're living off someone else's cash. It's great to be free when there's lots of money coming in and you don't have to work for it. But you see, pretty soon he was out of money. And then suddenly he realized this freedom wasn't all it was cracked up to be. You see, and then when a famine struck, he had nothing. And so this son of a wealthy landowner, you see, this boy who had always had everything given to him, he has to go and beg for work. Look with me at verse 15. It says, Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. There's nothing wrong with being a farmer and feeding pigs, and I'm sure it's a perfectly respectable job. You have to understand how far he has fallen. This is menial labor, but more than that, if you think for a moment, this is a young Jewish man. Yes, he's moved away to a distant country, but pigs were unclean animals for the Jews. You weren't even meant to touch a pig or that made you unclean and unable to hang around with other people. You see, this was horribly shameful for him. And that's the point Jesus is making. He had sunk as low as low could be. And you would think he couldn't sink even further until you look at verse 16. It says, He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. See, that's how hungry, that's how desperate he'd become. That's how low he'd gotten. And so at some point there, as he sits in the mud, coveting the pig's food, he comes to his senses. Look at verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father. And say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So what you see at this point is all his pride has gone, hasn't it? He's not going back to his father for a handout. He's not saying, oh, Dad, I made some mistakes. Will you have me back and give me another third? That's not what he's saying. See, he's saying, I know my father owes me nothing. There's no reason he should take me back. He's not asking his father to welcome him back into the family home even. He's saying, Dad, maybe, just maybe, you might show me enough mercy. Maybe, just maybe, you might show me enough grace that you will take me on as a menial servant, as, as sort of your, your lowest employee, and give me a low-paying job so that at least I can live. Maybe you'll do that for me. Now, if we just pause in the story there for a moment. Jesus didn't tell this story just because it's a great yarn. 
He had a reason. It's a parable. It's a story with a meaning. And you don't have to be Einstein to work out that Jesus is pointing out that this father and this son is meant to signify something of our relationship with God. You see, Jesus wants us to see ourselves in that son in the story. See, Jesus says we have all turned our backs away from the God who created us. He says we've all done that. God created us. God gave us life. He gave us this beautiful world. And he said, all I want from you is to love me and worship me and live for me like a son for their father. But we, every one of us, we have turned our backs on him. And we've said we want freedom. We want to be our own boss. We want to decide right from wrong. We want to be the people who make the decisions for ourselves. We want to live. We want to go and live how we want to go and live. And like the father in the story, God lets us. He allows us to walk away. He doesn't compel us like robots. He lets us walk away. So like the son who said, Dad, I want your cash, but I don't want anything to do with you. We say to God, God, I want all the benefits of your good creation. I want this wonderful world to live in. I want love, I want joy, I want health, I want wealth. I want this beautiful world. But God, I don't want anything to do with you. I want the cash, but I don't want you. But you might say, well, that might be right, but I'm still not right like the sun in this story. You know, I haven't wasted my life in loose living, as it says, and that may be right. But others here might say, actually, I can see myself in the sun. This is my story. You see, this is the thing. The reality is that some of us do express our sin in spectacular ways and obvious ways. But for many of us, our sin, because that's what the Bible calls it, it's not as obvious, but it's just as real. You see, for many of us, it's respectable and it's middle class. It's gossip, it's white lies, it's greed, it's coveting, it's never being satisfied with what God has given us. It might be hidden. You know, those thoughts of our hearts that we don't want anyone else to know. We even hide them from ourselves sometimes. You see, remember, God sees the depths of our hearts. He knows the real us, not the us we put on for other people. You see, we all say, however it expresses itself, we all do to God what that son did to his father. We take the good things, we take his cash, and we walk away. We say, God, you made me. God, you give me everything, but I don't want you limiting my freedom. I want to live for myself. I want to live my life my way with me in charge. But here is the point. Here is the thing. At some point, the cash runs out. You see, when people chase after other things that is other than God, when people center their life in chasing after other things, whether it is sex, drugs and rock and roll like the young son in the story, or whether it's career and money and power and success and respectability and all those other more respectable things we long for, ultimately they always come up empty. We search for satisfaction in these things. We think freedom to chase these things will make us happy. But in the end, they leave us dissatisfied in this life. Do you remember the tennis player, Boris Becker? Anyone remember Boris Becker, the youngest man to ever win Wimbledon? There you go, there's a photo of him. Here he is, there he is on the screen. 
When he was at the height of his powers and the height of his success, he admitted that he was suicidal, even at that point in an interview. And this is what he said. It's up there on the screen. He said, I had won Wimbledon twice before. Once as the youngest player, I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they are so unhappy. I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. See, this is the thing. When we turn away from God, when we turn away from the God who made us and look for fulfillment in other things, even good things, like family and work and other good things, we will never find it. Because the human condition is that the more we have, the more we want. That's what we do. The more we have, the more we want. And so ultimately, all these things just lead to despair. See, our world bears this out, if you look at it honestly. See, I mean, we've never been richer, have we, in Australia than we are now. There has never been a society where people have been richer than we are now on average. We have more disposable income than any people have ever had in the history of the world. I mean, we go on overseas trips like it's a right, not a privilege. But depression is reaching epidemic levels. How can that be? When we've got everything, we've got everything to make us happy, but depression is at epidemic levels and suicide has become the biggest killer in some age groups even here in Australia. How can that be? It's because you cannot find contentment in those things. And even just say you do, just say we do find contentment and happiness in this life, what about when we die? What about then? And we stand before the God who made us and he says, give me an account of your life. And we point to our cars and to our house and to our success what does God say? He'll say, but did you know me? And did I know you? Did you give me thanks for all I've given you? Did you seek after me? Did you even ask what I wanted? Did you try to love me with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind? Because that's why I made you. How did you go at loving other people with that life I gave you? That's what I made you for. See, even if we never end up at the pig trough, like the sun in this life, what about when we die? And so Jesus says, like the sun in the story, we need to turn back to the heavenly father. That's what we need to do. And I want to say to you, do you notice how the son goes back to the father? Look again at those verses I read before from verse 17. He doesn't go to him with strings attached. He doesn't go to his father and say, okay, I do need you, I was wrong, take me back and bring me into the family and give me more of what I asked for before. That's not what he does. And I think that's how we often treat God. See, we act as if us going to God and telling him, we'll worship you, God, we act like we're doing him a favour. Or we bargain with God. God, if you do this for me, then I'll believe you, we say. But no, you cannot bargain with God. We need to go like the son goes back to his father with no pride and no bargaining, just remorse and repentance. And so if we go back to our story, the son sets off for home. And if you're like me, if you've ever let down your father like I have, 
you can imagine what he'd be doing as he's there on the road he would be rehearsing his speech as he's getting there he's thinking when I get there how am I going to say this to my father he'd be rehearsing his speech but then we come to the amazing part of this story and the thing I want you to see because the son comes hoping hoping against hope almost hoping that his dad might just sort of reluctantly welcome him back and give him a job as a hired hand on the farm but as he gets back he gets the shock of his life look with me from verse 20 and i think these are some of the most beautiful verses in the bible he says so he got up and went to his father but while the son was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion he ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him see i have this image of the father that actually he has been standing at the gate every day since his son left scanning the horizon hoping that he might just come back and so on this particular day as the son is walking down the road finally he sees him and when he sees him understand this men in the ancient middle east didn't run this would have been crazy to do you know he would have had to have pulled up his call it a skirt because that's what they wore didn't wear trousers pull it up and run along the road and men in the ancient middle east didn't kiss people certainly not in public you see this is the thing he is so overjoyed that he doesn't care he doesn't care if people think he's crazy he doesn't care if people think he's a loony he doesn't care if people don't respect him because his son who was lost has come back his son who was dead is alive again and you can imagine the tears of joy streaming down his face and so then the son starts his prepared statement if you look there at verse 21 he says father i've sinned against heaven and in your sight i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but he doesn't even get to the bit about oh will you please just take me on as a hired hand he doesn't even get to that because his father interrupts him before he can even propose the deal his father interrupts him look at verse 22 but the father told his slaves quick bring out the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found see we don't realize just how incredible this is in that culture you didn't eat meat every day you ate meat very rarely just at maybe a wedding or at a religious festival or something like that that calf had been set aside for something incredible but the father said kill it let's eat it because this is the most important day this is what i have longed for and you see there's no talk of the son having to earn his father's love back do you see that all the talk of him coming back as a hired hand has just evaporated it's gone there's no talk of retribution there's no talk of i'll welcome you back but now we're going to set up an interest-free loan for the next 48 years for you to pay it back to me there's none of that there's just joy that's all there is because this son of mine was dead but now he is alive again this son of mine was lost and now he is found and here is the point of the story jesus is saying that is god's attitude to you if you want to come back to him we are lost 
and we deserve God's judgment for the way we have treated him. And one day there will be a judgment day. But now, now God stands at the gate longing for us to come back and find his forgiveness and find his love and find his mercy. I don't know how you envisage Christianity and how you envisage God, but I find a lot of people think that Christianity is about us doing enough religious things and enough good things to try to make God accept us and try and make God welcome us. And we sort of think God is sitting up there in his house in heaven and if we will just come and knock hard enough, if we'll knock down the door with all the good things we do and all the religious things we do, then maybe, just maybe, he might accept us. That is not what Jesus taught at all. He said God loves the world and God longs for us to come to him and find forgiveness and find mercy. So much so that he has done all the work. We don't do anything. He's done it all. Jesus doesn't explain it here in this passage, but God loves us so much, he says elsewhere, that rather than punishing us for our sin as we deserve, God sent Jesus into the world to die on a cross and on that cross Jesus took the punishment for sin that we deserve. And so God says to us, if you will just come to me, if you will just come to me like the son in the story and say, I have sinned against you, God, and you trust that Jesus has died for you, then God says, I will welcome you back. I will welcome you into my family. I will give you the gift of eternal life, a place in heaven, no strings attached. See, this is the thing about God. God longs to forgive us. He longs to welcome us into his family with joy. He is standing at the gate waiting for us to turn back and accept his offer by believing in Jesus. And when we do, God rejoices. Look at how Jesus said it. We'll put up another slide on the screen. In one of the other stories he told, just a bit before, in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, this is what he said. He said, In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God longs to know us and forgive us and welcome us. He just wants us to accept the gift. I love this story of Jesus. Uh, I hope you can see that. Uh, because what it does is it gives us an insight into our own situation before God, that we are lost, facing ultimately death and judgment, but God is not reluctant to welcome us back. God doesn't need his arm twisting to accept us back. He doesn't have a list of things he wants you to tick off before he'll accept you back. He longs to accept us and forgive us. Nothing gives him greater joy and he has done all the work. And the only question is, will we turn back to him and accept his forgiveness and accept his mercy by trusting in Jesus? And so I want to ask you tonight, What will you do with God's offer? That's the question. What will you do? You might be sitting there and you might be saying, yes, I have already accepted God's offer. I am someone who has come back and trusts in Jesus. And if that's you, then that is wonderful. God rejoices. Praise God. 
But you may be someone who has never done that. And I want to say to you, if you've been struck tonight by what Jesus says, if you've been struck by the fact that, yes, I am lost, yes, I have turned my back on God, but God longs for me to come back and longs for me to accept his love and mercy by trusting in Jesus, I want to say to you, if that is you, then do something about it tonight. See, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer that says to God, yes, I do want to come back. It's there on your outline. Everyone take out your outline and have a look with me at this prayer. It says, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you made me and give me all good things. I'm sorry that I turned my back on you and have lived my life my way. I want to come back. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Please forgive me and accept me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say to you, read that carefully. If you want to pray that prayer and make it your own, if you want to pray that prayer and mean it, then God rejoices. And you can be certain that God welcomes you with joy and offers you forgiveness and eternal life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray it now slowly. Uh, and if you want to pray it with me, why don't you pray it along with me in your head as I pray it? So why doesn't everyone bow their head, take out your outline so you can follow it along. And if you want to pray it with me, pray it with me in your head. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you made me and give me all good things. I am sorry that I turned my back on you and have lived my life my way. I want to come back. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Please forgive me and accept me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. If I can just speak for a couple more minutes, can everyone please take out their feedback slips? Uh, and there should be some pens floating around, but if you need a pen, put up your hand and one of our helpful singers, the singers always get this job, we'll get it to you. Uh, I want to tell you, if you prayed that prayer and meant it, God is rejoicing in heaven. But you will need help to think about what that means. You'll need help to think about it. Please don't fill in your form yet, just wait for me to explain the different things. I want to say to you, if that is you, I'd love it if you tick that box on there that said, I prayed the prayer today. Uh, and if you tick that, please write some way of contacting you on there, a phone number perhaps and your name, and I will ring you during the week to talk to you about that. Uh, if you're someone who has said, you know what, I've never done that before, but I want to pray that prayer and accept that gift that God gives me in Jesus, I'd love you to pray, uh, to tick that box and I'll contact you during the week. Uh, for other people, you mightn't have prayed the prayer, but you're a bit interested in what I was talking about. Uh, I want to say, over the next little while, we're running a course called Christianity Explained. We run this all the time. We're starting after Easter. And it's a great opportunity to come along and ask all your questions, hear a bit about what Jesus claims about himself. No obligation. Just come along, hear from the Bible, ask your questions or sit and listen. And people find that a great course. That's starting after Easter. And if you're interested in that one, Please tick, I would be interested in a Christianity Explained course and we'll get in contact with you. There's another box there for everyone else that just says, enjoyed it. Don't lie, only tick that if you did. 
but you could write a comment, you could tell me what you think of me, I don't mind, whatever you want to say. But what I'd love it is, so that no one feels self-conscious filling those in, I want us all to take a minute now and fill that in uh, and tick whatever box you think is appropriate to you.